If you would join with me as we read from Genesis chapter 12. We'll begin this morning with the beginning, the beginning of many things. That's what Genesis is about. Genesis meaning beginnings and also containing uh, really such beginnings as we, we have listed here all the way from chapters 1 to 11. Now we've come from the creation uh, to the first sin, to sin being spread to the family, to all nations, to all peoples. Then you have the flood, then you have more sinning, then you have the Tower of, of Babel, and then you have this call of Abram, who is Abraham, as you know. So let's begin reading here uh, just uh, really, uh, really four verses here from chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your holy Word. Bless now the reading of our Word to our hearts. Help us to hide Your words in our hearts so that we might not sin against You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. Okay, that's good enough. Um, <clears throat> introduction to Abraham. Yeah, it pops in my head every time. You know, it's, it's a wonder what you remember as a child. Uh, I introduced that song to my kids recently, and they loved it. You know, we're sitting here doing all this number, you know, going nuts, and then finally sit down, and I was glad to sit down. They wanted to do it again, Daddy, do it again, you know. Um, that's right. Thank you, Bo. Abraham is one of these characters that if you miss him in the Bible, you're going to miss what the Bible is about. In Abraham, God is doing something new. God is doing something great. And God has His eye looking not just on the current call to Abraham, but instead to the whole world. And where I want to begin this morning is by saying something very simple, something that you as an adult already know. And that is, life isn't about me. Life isn't also about you. Uh... As an adult, we begin to realize that more so than we did when we were teenagers, uh, quite frankly. And some people try to hold on to that longer, uh, but life has a nice way and maybe sometimes a nasty way of ripping that from us and saying, no, life's not actually about you. And the more you try to live it for you, the less life you enjoy. That's what's going on here with Abraham. He gets a call to leave his life, <laughs> and yet find new life. And isn't that, isn't that always the seeming paradox in the Bible, in the Gospel? In order to gain life, you have to die to your life. 
But is it so striking to us? Doesn't that actually smell of reality? I think it does. For when Jessica and I had our first child, you know, we, we looked at each other three and a half years into our marriage and said, you know what? I think we've done pretty well for ourselves. This is getting maybe a little boring around here. Let's, let's mix it up a little bit by throwing a kid in the mix. And quite frankly, it does mix things up a lot when you do that. And yet, they're the greatest joy of our life and at times they're the greatest pain in our life. Because what you work for in life the, most, the hardest is oftentimes the best. And the things we work least for in life are oftentimes the things we don't really remember and care about. You know when someone puts time in. You know when somebody has done a good job because they've put the time in. And most things that are worth doing, you have to spend a lot of time doing them. There's a sacrifice to be made. That's why Jesus' good work is the greatest work and it's also the most difficult work. None of us could have ever done that. He was sinless. He never sinned. And yet, He took on all our sin. He died. He was crucified. This is why Paul says, I purposed to only preach Jesus and Him crucified. Not Jesus, please bless me so that I can have life easy. But instead, no, Jesus and Him crucified. That picture of crucifixion, you know, the symbol for Christianity is the cross after all. And this is a tool of execution in the Roman world. I mean, this is like having a, an electric chair around your neck wearing a cross. It is a tool of destruction to destroy life in the worst possible way. And yet it becomes for us the greatest blessing in life. Salvation for us if we'll meet our own cross. Abraham has to learn through the next series of chapters that you'll read not to trust in himself. He's already an old fellow. His wife is barren. She can't have children. She doesn't have that ability, apparently. And yet, out of barrenness, out of seeming lifelessness, comes life. That's what God is always doing in our hearts. In darkness, if we, if we recognize that darkness, He can bring light there. If we never recognize the darkness, no light can be brought there. No healing can come if we never admit our own sin and selfishness. But when we do, when we confess that to God, when we give that to God, then He can do something great through that if we'll only give it up. You know, it's like the child who has, say, a gummy worm. And you have something so much better for them, but they won't release the gummy worm in order to take the cookie from you. You've got something if they'll just do what you said that is so much better. Or maybe it's something like you've planned for your children like we often have. And we're saying, son, if you will just wait. And yet we don't like to wait. We live in a culture, we live in a time in, in life that is the most blessed 
physically. The most blessed monetarily, materially. I mean, kings and queens in the ancient world don't live as good as the lower middle class of America. They don't have, they didn't have what we have. We have, we have so much and yet we're so spoiled, rotten, and selfish, and downright mean. Isn't that what you find with children? The more toys you give them, the less they play with them. The less they have, the more they play. You give them a box, they'll play with the thing all day. You give them 45 toys that cost $15 each, they don't know what to do. Daddy, I'm bored. I'm ready to go outside. I don't want... They don't know what to play with. It's fascinating. The more we have, the more we want. The less we have, the more we appreciate what we do have. It's fascinating, isn't it? These paradoxes, these seeming paradoxes in life, and yet the Bible addresses these things. Abraham is one who also, like us, had much in his time. And yet he's told to leave it. And to trust God to go to a place that He would show him. This call to Abraham changes everything in the Bible. If, if you track out kind of the, the descent from, from chapter 3 where, where we sin, where, the, where Adam and Eve sin, you have a, a marriage that is sinning. You know, the husband and wife, they sin. You, then you have family turmoil. It spreads to the family. So marriage to family to then all nations. Then to all peoples. And God says, look, something has to be done because everybody's thinking evil only continually. So He sends the flood to purge and to cleanse. And then you get more sinning even after the flood. And you, you're just on this downward spot. And you're thinking about, about chapter 11, you're thinking, man, is it going to get any worse? And in Abraham. Abraham... There's a reason we call him Father Abraham. (laughs) There's a reason that three religions that are most influential, and also two of them being the largest religions in the world, nothing even close, besides Hinduism maybe. I'm speaking of Islam and Christianity and Judaism all claim Abraham as their father. Why? Well, it's because God promised three things to Abraham that I believe He promises to all of us in this room. Let me share those with you now. The first one is family. Notice what is said here. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now remember, Abraham is sitting here. They're both in their 70s. Late 70s on top of that. And God is promising them a family. Now, he doesn't even begin to work that plan until 15 years later. Isn't that how God always works with us? <laughs> he promises us something, and is it an immediate thing? No. This is like what you have to do to your children. They want, we want everything now. And what I'm trying to show you is that our culture is one that is extremely childish. We want everything now. 
Not to waste. Why we all have credit cards. Just why we all have microwaves. We want it now. We know that microwaving something and nuking it probably isn't the best for us, but we do it anyway because we want it now. We know that putting it on the credit card is not the best course of action, but we want it now. Pushing ourselves further into debt is not the best course of action, but we want it right now. Just like children. (laughs) I started off by saying most adults know that life isn't about us, but we say we know that. But in our actions, do we know that? You know, there's obviously a difference between saying something and actually carrying through with your actions. We call it hypocrisy. And we love to call other people out on hypocrisy, don't we? I mean, we almost enjoy finding hypocrisy in other people. It makes us feel better. But yet we don't want to identify our own hypocrisy. God says to Abraham, you know what? I want to do three things for you, Abraham. <laughs> Not, Abraham, I want you to follow the law. Abraham, I'm going to lay some things on you. And before you do them, I'm not going to do anything with you. No, instead God comes here in chapter 12 in order to save humanity. This is the beginning of God's rescue plan. He comes and says, I want to do three good things for you. And you know what? That's the nature of God. He always comes first to us, giving us good gifts, promising us good things. And He will deliver. And what He does to Abraham, He says, look, I want to give you a family. I want to give you land. And I want to make you famous. Now that's three things that most humans want, like, maybe aspire to. I mean, all of us come from some type of family, whether it's broken or whole. Most of us have in our mind what we would like our family to be like. Whatever family we're connected to. Most of us want our little lot in life. Whether it's .35 acres, most suburban places, you know, or, or whether it's five acres or 400,000 acres, you know... I, We want our little place in the world that we can call home. That we can tend to. That's ours. And most of us want to be recognized for our good works. Most of us want to be recognized for working good at work. We want people to say, yeah, outstanding worker. Good husband. Most of us want that type of Fame, not fame like the celebrities, but fame among those who know us best. We want to be recognized. And God says, look, Abraham, I'm going, I'm going to give you these three things. The first being family. Now, family is something that's universal around the world, you realize. No one, no one escapes family. Whether you come from a good one or a bad one, nobody around the world escapes family. We might not like the family we're born into, and quite frankly, you're not—you don't get to choose. Uh, you know, our our son Ty is not going to get to choose. Jacob not going to get to choose. This young man here not going to get to choose. You're stuck with him, and he's stuck with you. That's the way family works. But family is a universal understanding in our world. It's not something that's local. It's not something that's American. It's not something Western. It's something worldwide and universal. Throughout all of history, we've had families. 
And families have been respected among all the religions, not just Christianity or the monotheistic ones. Not only that, take it even further. Even the mob knows a little something about family. Apparently it's so basic to life that even the mob can't operate without calling one another family. Even gangs work in that type of familial language. Brother. Blood brothers. Family is the basic building block of our life. It's like the atom. In science, family is the basic building block of a society. And when the family crumbles, so too will the society. That's not, again, something I just made up. I'm not smart enough to do that. Instead, it's something that has been tracked throughout history. When the family declines, so too will the nation. And right now, we're sitting above 50% on broken families. That's, that's pretty staggering. Now, in the church, that number is less. And you've been told it's the same. It's not. There's been new research that's come out recently that shows that it's somewhere around 30% of broken families in Christian homes. So there may be something to being Christian after all. Because Christianity does uphold the family. It protects the, all throughout the Bible. The Bible begins with a marriage, ends with a marriage, and all the way through, just as we read this morning from John, marriage is upheld. Family is holy. And quite frankly, the reason it is, is because God is a holy family Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Christian God that we find in the Bible is not the God of Islam, who is one person, one single person. Rather, what we're shown here is three persons, one God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice how our creed is set up. Father Almighty, the Son who was born of Mary, the Son who eternally existed and then took on flesh at some time temporally, and then the Holy Spirit who was sent by Jesus. God Himself is a divine family, and that's why the church calls itself the family of God. The church is the body of Christ, but more importantly for this morning and what Abraham does and his call is we are the family of God. That's why we say brother, sister. That's why we tell each other we love each other. We care for one another. It's not something we're putting on. We're really, in a real sense, blood brothers, not like the gangs. But we share in the same redemptive blood of Christ, which makes us blood brothers and blood sisters. Not in a physical way, but in that way of faith. Abraham becomes the father of all families in the world. Both Jew and Gentile. Notice the second promise is land. Every one of us has a place has a space in the world where we exist. I mean, your space is there. And if you don't believe that you have a space, let me get about this far from your face, and you'll say, hey man, get up out of my space. 
Because we don't like somebody in our space that is not invited there or welcome there. God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you some land. And who would reject that? I mean, land is one of those things, by the way, you can't make more of. You know, if you own land, that's something, boy, that's, that, it's a prize, quite frankly. You can't make more land. You can make a lot of other stuff. You can make another house. You can make another this or that. You can't make more land. There's only so much out there and, you know, most of it's already bought up. <laughs> and they want too much for it. <clears throat> Trust me, I've looked. Land. Why would God promise Abraham land? Because God had His eye on the world. That's why. You know the land that God gave to Abraham? <laughs> you know that where Israel is today? Palestine? Near where Syria is? Right there by the Mediterranean? Right there surrounded by desert? In the fertile crescent where life began? As far as we can tell where civilization first started? With the Sumerians? Down near Kuwait? See, I know a little bit about geography. That area is called the Middle East. <laughs> that area used to be called the ancient Near East. When you talk about the, the ancient world, you talk about the ancient Near East. But just think real quick, the Middle East. How important is the Middle East? Well, it's so important that if you watch the news for 30 minutes, it's going to be mentioned. It's so important in the ancient world that it connected Egypt in the West to Mesopotamia in the east. In other words, in order for them to trade, they had to go through the middle. And God set His people right smack dab in the middle of all current world affairs. And guess what? That land is still in the middle of all current world affairs. You think God keeps His promises? He told Abraham he was going to give him a piece of land that was very important. I believe he gave him some of the most important land in our world. You could really say that piece there connects both east and west. Us living in the west, Russia, you know, China, all that, east. And right there in the middle is this little group of people that we can't get rid of even though we try. God placed them there to be a witness to all nations. And whether they've done a good job or bad, they've been a witness to all nations. Subsequently, God also gives you a little place in the world. You may see, think it's insignificant, but to the neighbors around you, it's not. To the people that work with you in that space, it's not. God has only given you that. He hasn't given it to Bill Gates. Bill Gates can't buy my little house if I don't want to sell it to him. That's something he can't have, even with money. He can't have my space in the world. That's not, not, not something up for sale. God has given you a space in the world. Are you going to be a witness? Because either way you do it, whether you're not or you are, you're a witness to something. Either to your own kingdom or to God's kingdom. 
he also interestingly tells Abraham, I'm going to make you famous. Why would God want to make him famous? Well, because in him, all the nations would be blessed. In Abraham, and with that call to Abraham, God foresees Jesus. By calling this one person, this one family, remember how I said last week, election has to do with kind of when, when uh, God has a water hose and He wants to spray us all, He puts on the nozzle Abraham. And then later on takes that nozzle off and puts on Moses. And then takes that off and finally puts on Jesus Christ who can spray everyone with God's blessings. Not just... But to all peoples. You have to forgive my sound effects. Uh, It's something I naturally do. Uh, ever since I played G.I. Joe with my brother when I was young, we, we learned sound effects, and so I still do that in any story I'm telling. God says, you know, I'm going to make you famous. And recognition, fame, is something that we might not seek, but it's something that we actually want in life. We want to be recognized. We want at least for people to know what we've done, whether it's good or behind-the-scenes work, uh, leading the music, all the way to your job that you work at. You want your wife to know. I mean, I let my wife know, which is probably not the way you're supposed to do it. Babe, did you see this kitchen I cleaned up? Way to go me, you know. Uh, probably because it doesn't happen much um, <clears throat> is why I want to be recognized. But we don't like to be passed over, whether it's for a job or whether it's by our spouse or our children. We don't like to be passed over. And God promises us fame. Not the fame of this world, but a deeper kind of fame. A more important kind of fame. I mean, just think about this. Who's the most famous person you know? I mean, some of my claims to fame, you know, are kind of, I knew a guy that knew somebody famous. You know, I don't really have a direct line to somebody really famous that all of you guys would know. I mean, I've met some scholars before that I would consider famous, but you would be like, who is that? You know, uh, it wouldn't matter to you. Um... I don't really know many people that are just absolutely famous around the world, except for one, Jesus Christ. And wouldn't He be the most famous person to know? I mean, He is the most written about person in human history. That's, again, a fact. That's not something disputable. He's the most written about person in all of the world. And yet we can know Him. Isn't God more famous than anybody else? You know? I would believe so. He did create everyone that you know. And He also is the personal judge of everyone, famous or not. Everyone will stand before Him one day. But there's something even more. I believe when we get to heaven, people will know what we've done for Jesus Christ because they've been rooting us on. The picture we have in Hebrews is one where we see the saints cheering us on. Go, go, do the right thing. They're rooting for us. As we're kind of still in the playing field of life, they've already reclined to the the auditorium. They've already reclined to the seats. But they're not done. They're still rooting us on. Our grandfathers who've gone before us, 
Our fathers and mothers who have gone, our brothers and sisters who have gone before us are rooting us on. C.S. Lewis captures this in the, uh, the book, The Great Divorce. Excellent book. You could read it in a day, and I'm a slow reader. He's painting a picture of being in, this may be controversial to some of you, but being in a place like purgatory. This middle place where you make a decision one way or the other. Are you going to go on to the high country or are you going to go back down to hell? Because these people basically take a bus ride to heaven. You can see here it says uh, to heaven on the bus. There's a scene where he's observing two people talking. He sees off in the distance what looks like the glimmer of a river kind of sparkling off the trees. And he, but he sees it moving. He said, well, what, is, what is that coming forward? And it's this lady who is robed and she looks honorable and she has all these children and animals and servants and, and peoples all around her giving her praise with music and with all the, and they're giving her praise. And he says, wow, this, who is this, this famous? Is this, is this? And then it picks up here, not at all, said he. This is his mentor helping him. It's someone... You'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. And she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Hey, she is one of the great ones. You have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are these gigantic people? Look, they're, they're like emeralds who are dancing and throwing flowers before... Haven't you ever heard Milton? A thousand livered angels lackey her. And who are all these young men and women on each side? They are all her sons and daughters. Well, she must have had a very large family then, sir. Every young man or boy that met her became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door, every girl that met her was her daughter. Well, isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? No. There are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Notice this. Few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers. But it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. And he goes on to say she was basically a housewife in this life. And yet she became someone great and famous in heaven. It doesn't matter what this world says about you. It doesn't matter what you've been through in the past. God can raise something up in you. Something being the Holy Spirit. Someone up in you who is God's very Spirit who can transform your, what looks like, meager little life into something grand and beautiful if you'll let Him. If we stay closed, if we continue to say, mine, all mine, like Gollum famously has told us and our kids often remind us, We'll never get anything out of this life. Because the more we try to squeeze it out, the less we'll get. 
And when we release and trust Him, that's when we'll find life. Do we want to be famous here? Do we want to be recognized here? Or is it better to be recognized in heaven? Because He can transform whatever job you have into a mission field. The children that we have, He can help us disciple them. Give them something that is worthwhile. God wants to make us famous, but the only way to do that is if we lift His name up high, not our own. Are you a part of the family of God? The family of God, there's only one way in. It's through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And then to be baptized into His church, into His death, and resurrected into His new life. And to feed around the table of communion as His children do. It's what God has given us as a family. He's also given us our place in the world. Are we using that place as a witness or to build our own little house of sand? Are we seeking our own fame or the fame of Jesus Christ? Because the greatest is the least of all these. Stand with me as we...